0: It was the 1950s, and the movie came out, Singing in the Rain. I don't know if you've seen the film, but in the film, this gentleman meets this lady, and she captures his heart, and he begins to be so in love that after he leaves his door, he, the rain begins, and he kind of waves the taxi or his driver on, and they drive off, and the rain is pouring down, and although he has an umbrella, he doesn't open it, and he's just singing in the rain because joy is so filled his heart. What's interesting about the movie is is although it came out in the nineteen fifties, it's actually the setting of the nineteen twenties. And the transition is a period and I'm not sure anybody in here remembers it, but a period of between when they went from silent film to actually having films with sound. Anybody remember that, right? Huh? But there's a transition. That's what the movie is portraying and playing out. Interesting enough, it's kind of where we are today. In Psalm sixty nine, David experiences times that maybe you and I know in our heartache. When life seems to rain. And there's periods when you and I have moments of silence, when there's no words that can really come. We don't have anything we can say. There's just tears and, and heartache. And maybe you're present physically with others, but emotionally you are miles away thinking about whatever you're going through. And there's times when that sound, the silence, transitions to sound. That we begin to hear the screams, the anger of, God, why? Where are you? God, do you not care? God, do you not see what they're doing to me? God, do you not. Are you not all in control, all powerful like they talk about you in the Bible? God, why am I experiencing that? So this morning, I'm not sure what genre or what generation you grew up in, but I'm going to invite you this morning that maybe you would just come with us to Psalm 69 and begin to hear David singing in the rain. We're going to begin the first thing of seeing that David had some parched praise. And so you may need to pull the record out and put the needle on Psalm 69 to begin hearing that. Or others of you, it's time for to put the cassette in, right? And, and that was your generation of the cassettes. Or maybe for some of the younger ones, you need to pop the earbuds in and say, what's David got to say about Psalm 69? And listen, part of it is you've got to listen really close because David's lost his voice. David's lost his voice crying out to a God that has an answer What are do you doing in those moments David's dealing with some parched praise So Psalm 69 It was Psalm 69 verse 30 That was in my reading this week I'll be honest with you The previous part of Psalm 69 was there on Monday I just kind of breezed through it I don't know if you ever read sometimes I just check it off your list like oh great I read today check That was kind of Monday But Tuesday morning God stopped me when I read verse 30 of Psalm 69 And proceeded through the remainder of it And I began to realize there was something God wanted to speak and do. And literally, that's why we've kind of detoured from our our study in the book of Acts and came to Psalm 69 today, other than just God's plan. And he says in verse 30 of Psalm 69, David says, I will praise the name of God with a song. So listen to me there. He says, God, I'm going to praise God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. That's awesome to read and hear about someone just praising and glorifying God. But if you start to see the remainder of the context, it's really going to, I hope, move you today. This simple statement of David singing and praising God really gets big in a moment when you begin to see and kind of pull back all the layers of everything that's going on in the life of David. So let's make our way there. It's in verse 31 that he says, look what he says there. This will please the Lord. Well, what's this he's talking about? He's saying, listen... My praising of God is going to please the Lord. And then he says this statement here. More than. More than what? Well, more than ox or bull or horns or hoofs. He's saying, listen, God desires my praise of Him more than even my sacrifice. It was Samuel who said in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, Samuel replies to, the Lord, replies to him, he says, What's more pleasing to the Lord? Have you ever wondered this? Do you think God wants your offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He's not minimizing the sacrifice, but He's saying to you and I, God wants your heart more than your church attendance. More than what you put in the plate this morning, God, is after your heart. More than how, how well you did on pitch today, singing the songs, God wants your heart to match that melody. He's saying, God is after this. And David's saying, listen guys, it pleases the Lord when you and I praise Him. But it's going to be really pleasing. You're going to see in a moment when David's praising the Lord in the midst of the rain. Look what he says. Verse 29 of Psalm 69. But I am afflicted. He's in pain. Depending on the translation you have, you may be reading there words indicating what this affliction is or this... It may be translated poor or oppressed or suffering. The indication behind the text is that David may be dealing with something that you may know all too well. Depression. There's an indication behind all that's happened in David's life that he is feeling the blueness of the rain. That David is experiencing a spiritual winter. Things seem dead, things I mean, people around, it's great, it's awesome. I mean you're excited for Seth today, but the reality is it's been so long since you remember that joy. David says, I'm here, guys, and I'm afflicted and in pain. And look what he says. Let your salvation, oh God, what he says, set me on high. What's he telling God? He says, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. Come to my rescue, Lord! David's in the midst of affliction and pain. And look what it says. This is interesting. Watch what happens with the text. Kind of rewinding further. Kind of pulling back the layers. Look with me. Verse 3 of Psalm 69. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is what? He's parched. He says, listen, my throat's become dry. Why? Because I keep crying out to God. God, rescue me! God, rescue me! He's dealing with it. How do you keep your praise on pitch when you're in the pits of life? How do you keep praising God when your throat? I mean, you've literally... I don't know if you've ever been there, but I remember when my dad was, was dying of cancer, I'm telling you, I, I was screaming out to God. It was... Driving my parents' house realizing the end was... And I was just screaming out, Jesus! with everything I had. And I would get there and my vocal cords would be so strained from the ride to Greensburg to Campbellsville. That's all I could get out. I was just screaming at the top of my lungs. Windows down. God, please! 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 I don't know if you've been there, but you've just been parched. Your praise is parched. I mean, you're just all that you have. Look what David says. Verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. He says, I have no foothold. I've come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. I don't know if you've ever been there and felt that type of emotion and feeling that you're drowning. That everything against you is just too much. I mean, as much as you want to get a foothold and you want to stand and you want to look i mean to others around you and listen, we heard the testimony this past week at Youth Fest that someone said, listen, I was smiling every day at work, but on the inside, I was distraught. So you can't always tell by the what you look at on the faces of people. We're really good at hiding that. We hide our hurt well. And David is there and he's saying, listen guys, it is, it is, I'm struggling. He says, I've come to a place that I now have laryngitis. I've tried so much and I've become so worse, I can't say anymore. And that's where it takes a difficult turn in the text. Because the reality is, most of us have probably had moments in life where you've cried out to God or you've been so heartbroken that you've just kept crying and crying out to God. What's challenging about the text It's not that David has laryngitis It's that the Lord has laryngitis I don't know if you've ever experienced Those moments Look what he says though Verse 3 My throat is parched My eyes grow dim with what? Waiting for who? Waiting for God You been there? Waiting for God to restore That wayward child? waiting for God to heal that marriage, waiting for God to bring about a change in your finances. I mean, you're like, I mean, you're to the point, you're afraid to answer the phone because you don't know what that next phone call may bring and who that they're going to say. And Hey, we're showing up today and we're taking everything away. I mean, you don't know what that next moment's going to bring and it's just like the waters are up to your neck and, and some of you, you, if you were honest today, I mean, you've already gone to snorkeling. I mean, you're under the water anymore. It's like, it's not at my neck anymore. I'm under and I've I just got to snorkel and occasionally I'm getting some breaths, but I, I'm suffocating. And that's what's troubling. David is waiting for God. David's crying out, God, please, God, where are you? What do you do? What do you do when you pick up the phone and you call God and all you get is the voicemail? What do you do in those moments of life where you send God that text message and you get the read receipt, but no response? Those are hard moments. These are difficult, challenging moments. Moments, and that's where David is. He's saying, what's David so struggling about? I mean, he's a king. I mean, I mean, what, what, what? are his problems? Let's just look just at a few of them for a moment." Verse four, he says in Psalm sixty-nine, "More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause." That reminds me that some of us here may have more enemies than others. All right. Uh, that was uh, to those that are follically challenged. You understood that well. Um, anyway, but look at what he says. Look at what he says. It's without cause, and then to make another statement. Those who attack me with lies—I don't know if you've ever been there—but somebody's ruining your rep. Your swag is going way down because of what people are saying, and it's not even true. But you can't control what they're saying about Facebook. You can't control what that other friend. You can't control what your spouse or whoever's whispering or telling things about you that may not even be true. That's where David is. And then what he says in verse eight, "He's some stranger, my own brother." He said, "Listen, my own family—just like we don't want you." We don't want you. He says, I'm a stranger. My own, I mean, my own family's distance themselves from me. Further look what he says. I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards have even made a song about me. What's David saying? Well, he's saying, listen, we, we pretty well know the drunkards, right? I mean, that the people. he's saying, listen, the people that live it up, they're just kind of mocking me. But the people that sit at the gate, that's hard. Because in that day and time when you would walk into a village, at the gates would be the elders, the leaders of the, of the community, the well-respected people. So David's saying, and you're in my vernacular, I go to McDonald's and they're talking about me up there. I walk into church, they're talking about me there. I hear whispers in the hallways of the teachers in the administration. They're talking about me too. David says, everywhere I go, people are talking about me. And I'm not even guilty. Then he says in verse 20, These reproaches have broken my heart. I'm in despair. David is literally crushed by what he's experiencing. The betrayal of friends, and people that are close to him, people that he cares about. He thought would have had his back. They don't have his back. And David's heartbroken. So it is on Thursday night. On Thursday night, Christ has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. So it will be on Friday morning that he will be crucified on the cross. And on Thursday night, is. This time of this cup That Jesus must drink for you and I He must take on the wrath of God God's anger and judgment towards sin As He becomes our sin According to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 And that Jesus is there in the cross And He says in Matthew 28 verse 36 That my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow He is in agony and despair Father if there is any other way Let this cup pass from me not my will, but what? Thy will be done. That's hard. Because on the cross, Jesus will experience silence. The heavenly mute button will be pushed. And from the cross, the Christ, the Messiah, the sinless one will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did he cry those words? so that for all eternity you would never have to. That you would never know what it means to be separated from God for all eternity. Christ came and bore the curse of the cross, your sin and your shame, that you would never experience the ultimate eternity separated from God. That is the good news of the Gospel. So no matter how much despair you're experiencing currently, how heartbroken you are, if you are in Christ... Know that He will never leave you nor forsake you. Know that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's the good news of the Gospel. But there's something redemptive about David's phrase. I don't know if you've ever been there but been in the pit before. There's something about the pit that seems to magnify. I don't know any of you ever sing in the shower or any, right? I mean, do you think you sound better there? There's something about how the sound begins to echo in that small area, and you're like, man, this is so much better for the quarry. I mean, they need me in the choir. Right? I mean this sounds I mean, this is good. That's sometimes what happens in the pits of life. Why? Because every other thing no longer matters. You're not worried about your pits, you're just focused on praising him. And there's something that happens in those moments. It becomes propelling. David says. He says that my praise begins to propel others around me. Look, listen, you would. Back Back to verse 30. He says, look, I'm going to praise the name of God with a song. I'll magnify Him with thanksgiving. This is going to please the God more than any sacrifice. And then what he says verse 32. When the humble see it. He says, they're going to be glad. What are they going to see? They're going to see His praise. They're going to hear His song. He says, listen, when I begin to sing, when I begin to praise the Lord, it other people are going to see it, and they're going to be glad. Look what he says to them. Hey, listen, they're going to seek God. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. He's saying, listen, literally, as David begins to praise God in the pit, it's part praise. He's struggling through it, but he's praising anyway. It's like God takes these holy defibrillators, and he puts them on the other people around him, and Bam! Dr. Robert Smith Jr. says, "You and I must, in this life, learn to get into what is called redemptive rhythm. We must begin to learn what God's doing in our lives, begin to see God at work in us, begin to recognize that God is transforming us and conforming us to the image of Christ." There it is with David in a spiritual winter; he's still praising God anyway. Why? Because there's some songs that only come in the wintertime. It's easy to spring. It's sing in the spring. Right, There's a lot more smiling faces when it's sunny outside and it's warm. It's a lot harder when it's doom and gloom and it's snow and it's cold and it's rainy and you feel alone. But David says, I'm going to keep praising God anyway because others around me, look what he says to them. Look at, look at this moment. For well, why? He says, guys, I want you to know, despite what you may feel, the Lord, what? He hears. It, now listen, the, the feeling may be contradictory to the truth. You may feel like God doesn't care. He's not listening. He's not watching. But David says, The Lord hears the needy. Guess how they learned to know that? By David having to go through some pits. How are other people going to learn that God still hears and God's still faithful and He's still good? Maybe because God allows you to go through some pits. My guess is, most of us aren't signing up for that, though. That's hard stuff. But David's saying, Listen... My praise of God in the midst of what I'm experiencing is propelling others forward. To let them know that God hears. And then look what he says. He says, listen guys, I want you to know this is about God's acceptable time. Verse 13, back in Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. And he says, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. I'll be honest with you, that sounds kind of churchy to me. It sounds kind of churchy to say, like, hey, God, whenever you're good with answering me, I'm good with it. And whatever your answer is, I'm good with that. I mean, that, 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 is it the right answer? Yeah, but I mean, it, it feels like the answer, like, what's the answer in class today? Jesus. Right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's how it feels. But remember, David's not on top of the palace looking out over the kingdom. He's in the pit. And there's a work of God's faithfulness. There's a work of God's love in His heart. And He's saying, God, I'm struggling, but I know that You are good. I know that You are faithful. I know that You never stop loving me. Oh, God, when Your will is, oh, God, help me accept it. But there's some honesty. Because soon after He says that, He does echo again in verse 14 by saying, deliver me, God. He says again in verse 16, Answer me, O Lord. Again, hide not your face from me. Verse 17. And he says, make haste. Come on, God, with the answer. We know that, right? How many of you have ever been to the store and it's come up with a rain and you didn't bring your umbrella and maybe you're with your significant other and and Pookie Bear says, Hey, baby, you stay here. I'm going to go get the car. Right? You ever had those moments? Now imagine this, they pull up at the store and Pookie Bear's there and, and they've gone to get the car, they've gotten wet for you because that's just how much they love you and they're singing the rain. And you go to unlock the door and the door is actually what? Locked. Now how many of you are going to look at Pookie Bear and say, baby, when it's acceptable to you, I'm good, it's raining, ruining my hair, my mascara. I mean, baby, when you want to unlock the door, I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've been there, Right. I'm guessing most of you will get the desk there and say, You open the door now, it's going to be bad for you. It's like, over! David's there. He, he, listen, he's saying, God, I know it's your will and not my will, but God, I'm struggling with that. It's okay. Listen, we struggle with God's will. It's a hard thing. So we don't have to pretend. We don't have to masquerade all the time. We struggle with it. We are here. We're doing our best. But God, we are struggling. But David says, listen, guys, don't forget about this steadfast love. Don't forget about this God who has abundant mercy. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever, tomorrow. God doesn't change. Despite what you may feel in your pit, He's not less loving. He's not become less faithful and He's not less merciful. But again, the feelings, if you're not careful, the feelings will dictate what you think and believe about God. Rather than allowing the Scriptures to tell you who God is. And he's there and he's struggling And so it was In Luke chapter 8 The disciple boys and Jesus have jumped into a boat And they're paddling out and crossing over the sea And during this time a great storm comes about In the midst of the storm Jesus is taking a sovereign siesta The Son of God sleep in the storm Ever felt like that? They're there and it says the boat begins to take on more and more water and and soon they have to go and tell Jesus, Lord, we're drowning. Do you not care? Do you not care? It says that Christ awakens and says the storm be still and the waves calm down. Then he looks at them with a very piercing question that you and I must learn to answer in the midst of storms. It's verse 25 of Luke 8. Yes, the disciples, where is your faith? Heart, it? But storms have a way of revealing our faith. They have a way of revealing whether it's little or much or maybe non existent. The faith is there at work. And he says, Listen, guys, where is your faith? But something beautiful happens here with David. He not only is propelling others around him as he's praising God, but there's something purifying about praise. David is going to share with us in just a moment. I'm I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you are going to take your Bible and do like, is that for real? This is going to be like one of those moments when David gets salty. He gets salty, right? I'm telling you, this is one of those moments you're going to say like, is that for real in the Bible? Like did David, David who is, the Bible says he's a man after God's own what? After God's own heart? He says that? Yeah, yeah. Nobody says so? before we get there. Verse 18, he says, draw near to my soul. Redeem me, ransom me, God. There's a cry out, God. Purify my praise, Lord. I'm struggling, God. Here, why? Why? Maybe you're wondering what's up with that. Well, James tells us in James chapter four, verse eight, draw near to God, and He will draw what? Near to you. There's a calling, and you say, well, what's David been doing? Well, verse ten says that David has been weeping. He's humbled himself with fasting. David is saying, God, I need you more than I need food. God, you are my only strength. Lord, you're my only hope. And so David is crying out to God. And he's saying, God, draw near to my soul. But David is experiencing a tough time. Why? Because he can't find anybody that comforts him or cares. Further, he says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. So it was applied to Christ on the cross. And then he says this, and this is where David begins to get salty. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. What's David saying? The table is indication of a blessing, right? Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my what? Enemies. Psalm 23. It's a place of blessing. David says, Lord, I want their blessings to become curses. That doesn't sound like the Sunday school answer. He says, Lord, I want you to sneak up on them and attack them. I want you, God, to wipe that smile off their face. That's in the Bible. He's not finished yet. Verse 25 of Psalm 69, May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Literally, he's saying, God, I want you to cut them off from the face of the earth. Ever felt like that? You ever told somebody I'm going to kill you in a minute? I'm going to kill you. I hate you. I hate them. Ever felt like that? No, we don't want to be honest and open that out. Like, ah, oh, I never felt that way. Of course not. David's there. they betrayed him. They've said lies. They spread all kinds of rumors. Everybody's talking about him, and David's just being honest and he's struggling. there no, this is between him and God. We're being privy to a private conversation. But David's pouring it out. Interesting enough, Psalm 69, verse 25, is also picked up in the New Testament in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 20, we hear Peter repeat this very verse and he applies it to Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed the sovereign son of God and went and hung himself. And he said, May his tent become desolate. May his camp be desolate. Let no one dwell in his tents. He said, We've got to find somebody to replace him. But it was an indication that God had dealt drastically with the situation that something terrible had happened. And that's what David is saying here. Now look further, we don't have time, but let's just fast forward down to verse 28. And this one right here is the most difficult one to deal with of all of David's salty sayings. Let them be blotted out. Blotted out of what? The book of the Lord. This is some challenging interpretation. At the very least, we have David saying that, God, I'd like for you again just to remove them from the earth. And when they're gone, I hope nobody remembers them anymore. But this challenge with this statement, Book of the Living, indicates that quite possibly David is dealing with this role of the righteous. And maybe in common vernacular, there's the possibility that David's saying, I wish they'd go to hell. You ever been there? You ever felt that way about somebody that wronged your children before or grandchildren? You ever felt that way about somebody that did your spouse wrong? Maybe you felt that way about your spouse before. You ever been there, kiddos, when your parents won't approve of what you want to do and you just said, I wish I had parents more like so and so, I can't stand you, I despise you, your rules and all your stupid stuff. David is there and he says, Lord, I want you to blot them out of the book of the living. This book of the living that shows up in Revelation 20 that says the Lamb's book of life was open. if anyone's name was not found written therein. They were cast alive into the lake of fire, eternally separated from a loving God, from peace and joy and happiness and holiness and righteousness. David's there. And so what I would say to you and I, again, there's been good intention in it. But there's been times when we've written this like holy prescription to people to say, you shouldn't feel that way. You just stuff that down in there. I would say that David invites you and I to be really honest that our God's not fragile, that He can handle your feelings and emotions. Again, this isn't David just throwing this out to everyone. He's dealing with it between Him and the Lord. But some of you have tried to so mask it and so pretend like it's not there, and you allowed it to go on. it's eating at you. And then, in the midst of that, do we not also realize, verse 18, the need of it? Draw near to my soul, God. Why? Ah, because Jesus said to love your what? enemies. And pray for those who what? Despise you. Persecute you. I don't know about you, but have you ever had moments in your life when you're struggling? You need God to draw near to my soul. God, I can't do this! I cannot love them! God, after all they've done! And you would be exactly right. Thus... Your and my need of Jesus Christ and the filling power of God's Holy Spirit to transform you to once and finally forgive, to live out Ephesians 4 and 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive you? Totally and completely! Go and do likewise. And it will never happen in your own strength or power. These words of David may sound all familiar, too familiar, and it may be eating you up. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the grace that is greater than all of our sin. You need the kindness and love of the Savior to overwhelm your soul that you might be able to forgive as He has forgiven you. But let's be honest, some of you have experienced abuse and torture and so long you may have heard people telling you, just, just, why don't you, just forget about that. You, you can't forget about that. David is here being honest saying, God, I am struggling. Take your honest feelings to the Lord. Find a brother or sister that's mature in Christ. Begin to share with them. I am struggling. I need God. Draw near to my soul, God. I can't love them in my own strength. God, I'll never forget them for what they've done to us and our family. David's there. You see the great beauty of it. His praise. is purifying. I don't know how many of you have ever read the... Little Blue Truck book. It's a classic at our house. We love the Little Blue Truck, don't we, Rib Dog? We don't have much time. No, no. Well, uh, Daddy does. The Little Blue Truck rolls through the village, and the Little Blue Truck invo- invites all these people. He's clucking on to the chicken, and the and the chick said, feet, Mom said a goat, Blue said feet. He just honks the horn. Everybody just being kind and loving. But it's not long before a big honk comes from a big dump truck. He says, coming through, I've got big important things to do. I don't have time to pass the day with every little duck along the way. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. People just find me, mean, just boom, just passing over you. Just get out of my way. Who are you? You've got to be careful. Because Room went the dump around a curve. He saw a puddle. He tried to swerve. Into the mud, rolled a big fat truck, and his big important wheels got stuck. Even big trucks could end up in pits. Maybe that's where you are. And the question becomes, what happens with those that he's passed along the way they didn't have time for? Paul cried the dump and he found it scared, but nobody heard. Or maybe nobody cared. He's honking around you. It hurt and offended you, and you say you deserve that pit. But then into the mud, bump, 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 came that little blue truck to help the dump. Little blue pushed with all his might. Now blue and the dump were both stuck tight. Help, 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 cried that little blue truck. Beep, 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 I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Everybody heard that beep, beep, beep. The cow came running with the pig and the sheep. Up at a gallow ran the big brown horse, jumped over the fence, of course. The hen came flapping with the chip in the duck and everybody pushed blue who pushed the truck head to head and rump to rump. Sometimes it gets a little messy in the pits when you go to help with people. It may not always fit what you think it should look like. But they're crying for help in the pit. They may have hurt you in the past, but now that little blue truck, some of you, the little blue truck, God's calling you. Head to head and rump to rump, they all pushed blue who pushed the dump. They couldn't quite budge that heavy load that who hopped up with the big green toad. All together, one, two, three, one last push, and they were free. Freedom. Freedom doesn't come through a little blue truck. It comes through the Savior. That's not going to work, but you get the picture. Who do you know that's in the pit? Now again, they've long past pushed you over. They've forgotten about you. They've stepped upon you and your family. But man, they're crying in the pit today. Help, help, help. And it's not that maybe nobody hears. It's just that nobody cares. Who'll be the little blue truck? They'll come running today to say, listen, I know that in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can forgive you. I can show grace. I can point to you. There's one who's powerful and stronger that can get you out of there. And so that's finally the last thing I just open your eyes to here as we look at this, this text. There's panoramic praise. You've got to, When it comes to the pits of life, we've got to look big picture. Look what he says there, verse 34. No time's come. Let heaven and earth praise them, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save. Look at he says, He will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. People shall dwell there and possess in it. David's not come to the place of being rescued yet. But he's saying, guys, we've got to praise God. I don't know what you're going through, but we've got to keep praising God. Why? Because David's got a big picture. I don't know if you know it or not, but... If you follow Highway 61 headed out there toward Mount Sherman, that as you come to the Green LaRue line, you'll reach the highest elevation in Greene County, some 1,045 feet. I don't know about you, but when I grew up here around this area, I always thought that our hills were mountains. That was until my parents allowed me to go on a trip as a young boy, and we showed up in the Great Smoky Mountains, and the highest elevation there was 6,643 feet. And I saw that, and I thought, Dude, that in Kentucky is Hills? I mean, I used to think those were so big, but now... And then, as a younger man, I got to travel with my mother to visit my aunt in Colorado Springs, and we saw Pikes Peak some 14,000 feet. And I began to think, you know what? Those mountains and the Smokies, they are mountains, but they ain't mountains like them mountains, y'all. And I can only imagine that if someday, and maybe some of you have been there, that we might land on the ground and stand and look up there in Nepal, China, in the Himalayas at Everest some 29,000 feet and think those mountains Pikes Peak that's the mountain I mean the Smokies they're mountains but they're not mountains like that's a mountain and that's my point a panoramic praise you see some of us are here today and we're looking right now at the great Smokies and we think it's absolutely beyond anything that we could ever experience or ever endure until so you look to that person in the church next to you or out in your community and you realize that their facing looks more like Pikes Peak and you're like, God, they're still praising You, God. They're remaining faithful. They're struggling, God. They're honest. They're struggling. But they see it. And it begins to realize, you know what? This mountain ain't may be what I thought it was. If they can make it through, if they can remain faithful, then Lord, I open my vision. Let me see bigger, God. Let me see and realize that there's a God who one day will restore all things. Let me hear, as we close this morning, with Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, listen, guys, we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Listen to what he says. Here's the close. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Get a panoramic view of who God is and then light of eternity... For the things we see now will soon be gone. For the things that we cannot see will what? Last forever. Forever. That's a long time. You ever thought about where you'll spend forever? self Athens had to. He had to come to the place of what Romans 5 would say in verse 1. And therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? If you desire peace, you say, I want something more like Seth hat. The Bible says that that peace is only available through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one that would satisfy You say, Blake, why is that? Because on the cross, Jesus was dying your death. Jesus was paying your penalty. That by grace and through faith in Him, you could now stand before God as if you lived His life. Do you see that? Christ died your death. He paid your penalty. That you could stand before God by grace and faith in Him alone. That you could stand before God as if you lived Jesus' life. And that's the way to peace with the Father. Today, are you willing to repent of your sins? To acknowledge that your way of life, the wake you have made, made is made absolutely disastrous? Would you be willing today to humble yourself? God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Today, would you acknowledge the same, Lord? Lord, I made a mess of things. God, forgive me. There's something about our posture. This was my posture there off Tates Creek Road and Lexington. I was just opening the Word of God, and day after day, I was just sitting there weeping over it on my knees. God, forgive me. Oh God, what have I done? All the sexual morality, all the drinking, all the gambling, got all the stupid stuff. Lord, I'm so consumed with money and me. Oh, God, forgive me. And you know what transformed me in that moment? It wasn't that I'd simply broken rules. Is that God loved me despite the rules that I'd broken. His love. He said, Blake, I love you more. I love you more than all of that. My son died for all of that. My grace covers that. The blood of Jesus Christ will pur- purify you from all sin. I'm telling you, that brought the greatest peace, the greatest joy, not just in that apartment, but here and now, today, I stand in that. That is victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. He sought me and bought me by His redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew Him and all my praise and glory is due Him. He plunged me to victory. Need the cleansing blood. Do you have peace with God today? If not, it's only available through His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ? I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Others here would. Others of you, you're in the pit of despair today. Would you just keep being faithful, crying out to God? You may need to grab somebody's hand and say, you've got you to gotta pray for me. I'm struggling to remain faithful in this pit. I don't see an end to it. My throat's become parched. I'm struggling. Would you just just keep praying for me? Just you keep encouraging me? Others of you? The people that have hurt you, they're honking and they're crying out. Beep, beep, beep. God's going to send you as that little blue truck. And it may be messy. It may be bump to bump and rump to rump. But it's time to start pushing and pointing them toward Jesus. And that begins with your forgiveness. God calling you today. I hope and pray that you've heard the sound of praise and there's praise rising in your spirit and view of God. So, would you pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus? Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the strength of your spirit, Lord, and the power of your hand. And, Father, I pray for any here that don't know you, God, that you would just speak and you would draw them. I pray most of all, God, they would know the forgiveness and the grace that is available only in Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, thank you that you would love someone like me. God, be with our people that are in pits. Oh, God, strengthen their faith. God, please strengthen the faith of your people. And God, for those that are here, that they know the people that have hurt them along the way, the big dumps that have gone through and just made a mess of things. God, may your grace so fill them that they can forgive them. They may need to have honest conversations. We're not dismissing any of that, any of their feelings. You can handle it. You're not fragile. But Lord, may You, by Your grace, empower them to go and to offer forgiveness. I love You, Lord. I entrust all this to Your Word and the power of Your Spirit for the glory of Your Son alone. In His name I pray, Lord. Amen. This morning, would You stand, would You praise, would You come and fall to Your knees?